Greetings, good people. Welcome to Who Knows It's Just Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kyle. Thank you for listening today. On today's episode, I'm joined by Maryland State Delegate Jazz Lewis. So Jazz and I go way back. Uh, We first met in college. We were both involved with Community Roots uh, way back in the day. And then after college, we were in a band together called Ten Righteous Minds. Uh, which was, we were together for what, like maybe about a year or so. Currently, Jazz represents the 24th district in the state of Maryland, uh, which is central Prince George's County. He covers areas like Bowie, Fairwood, Glendale, Landover, Suitland, amongst others. He is the chair of the Democratic Caucus. Uh, He was originally appointed in January 2017 and was elected in 2018 and is serving currently. And we're actually on the eve of the next next legislative session in, in Maryland, which starts in January. So, Jazz, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kyle. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, it's good to be among family and friends, man. Uh, long, it's been a while since we've, since we've caught up. Yeah, no, for sure. I really appreciate, you know, you getting on, this, on the show and, just, and being able to catch up in this way. And what, what really, you know, wanted, made, made me want to reach out to Jazz is, um, you know, Jazz also just had a, a baby. <laughs> Um, not too long ago, and I'm a father. I've talked about that briefly on the show so far. I'll get into that a lot more later, but just with Jazz's position as a, as a state delegate, you know, he's always been passionate about the community and, and helping out and just doing his part to, ser- to, to serve others for one, but also just to make this world a better place. And I know that hits differently now as a father, so we'll, we'll definitely get into that a little bit. Um, but before we get too much into it, I, I want to start by explaining the premise of the show. Some of you have been listening and understand this, but, but Jazz is new, so... Basically, this podcast is just, who knows, it's just life. So I admit that I don't know and that I'm still learning and that I'm moving, based, I'm moving in this world based on my experiences and understandings to this point. But ultimately, I'm continuously learning, trying to figure out things as the world is coming to me and as I come to it. Um, so this, pu- this podcast is a public expression of that learning process and any and all topics are fair game. So that's what makes this fun. We can talk about anything. Um, and so it's basically, Jazz, I welcome you to, to this space. I welcome you to challenge me because I'm, I'm here for that learning. Um, so check me along the way if I say something off the wall or whatever. And, and yeah, it's just welcome to that space. And usually I kick off the show with a quick check-in. So just how are you doing today, this week? You know, what's going on? What's new for you in this moment? How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling... Um I'm feeling amidst a midst of things. Um, yeah, you know, like, like Kyle said, uh, my wife and I gave birth to a beautiful baby boy nine weeks ago today. Uh, he's healthy oh, wow. and doing well. Uh, right now, my wife is putting him to sleep. We just bathed him a few minutes ago before I ran down here to hop on the podcast, um, <laughs> which, which, is, which is an up. Uh, just buried a really close uncle this past weekend. Um, mm. We're coming up on the anniversary of my father's passing, uh, New Year's Eve. Nice. So it's like a mix of of highs and lows right now. But you know, I'm um, I'm all right. Uh, you know, it's it's just like a tough year for everyone, and I think we're all learning to be yeah. gentle with one another. You know, through this process. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about that. I don't know about your uncle's passing and your and the anniversary of your father's passing. I'm sorry to hear that. Thanks. But um, yeah. but I'm learning. I mean, like you, you know. Uh, yes. Yeah. You you learn the things that like you're grateful for. Like my father passed away New Year's Eve. I buried him. Uh, and my family buried him the day before the legislative session started last year, uh, in January. Wow. 
and then the you know the world shut down in March. So uh, you know, though I'm still processing him not being here, I you know this year has taught me to be thankful, and we were able to send him home the way he wanted to go home because it happened before the pandemic. You know, and um, and I appreciate that. You know what I mean? I will I will always. Uh, always remember that that time and that process that I was able to fellowship with my siblings, with my families, with my close friends, where we could embrace one another instead of doing virtual and remote things that a lot of people have had to do this past year, um, in addition to all the other challenges people have had to face during a pandemic yeah. between job loss, health, you know, potential evictions, uh, you know, company closures. I mean, it's just been, it's been heavy. Um, all around, uh, so you know, I think it's just it's just one of those times where you have to take stock and be thankful for what you got. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just crazy to put all that in perspective. And I mean, and you said you said you said that was last year, but that was that was January of this year, right? That was before this 2020 legislative session. Yeah. So yeah. and and it's just crazy how how I, I feel like everybody who thinks about like January, February, even early March, it's like oh, last year, last year. I mean that was that was still technically this year, and it just feels like light years away, dependent compared to like what we've been dealing with since since the March time frame. It's just it's crazy, but yeah, no, that's that's I really appreciate that perspective, and and yeah, I know a lot of people who who who've had people pass away, and I'm just figuring out what to do, how to do that, and and uh, it's just a real struggle, yeah, I, you know. So, dang, but yeah, I appreciate your 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 perspective on that. Yeah, no um doubt. yeah so i mean let's let's get into it i mean like so so what what's it like what's life like as a delegate and you know i mean it, it things have got to had to have changed you know in terms of how you move whether it's on social media or just in real life i mean just being being a delegate are, do you feel like you have to be on 24 7 or 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 the fact that i guess maybe the fact that maryland has this legislative session just from for for you know from mm-hmm. january to march to april Maybe that's not as bad for, for for a state delegate here in Maryland as it would be for a congressional representative. But so, how, what is life like now? I'll start a little bit about how our legislature uh, is designed, as well as a little bit about about me. Uh, like Kyle said, um, I represent the 24th district, which is Central Prince George's County. I was born and raised in Prince George's County. Um, here, I like to say this county birthed me and molded me, uh, and the things I fight for are based on that. Um, I, I got into activism before politics for, for selfish reasons initially. Uh, to be honest, I was a student on University of Maryland's campus. I worked my way through school. Um, like Kyle knows, we played in a band together. I don't, I don't know that Kyle knew that I also used to play at local churches to help pay my way through school. Um, and I used to work at the Quality Inn Hotel in College Park with our buddy Tony to also help pay my way. Um, and a, and a bunch of side jobs, right? And that was my entire four-year time. Everyone didn't know that, but that was my lived experience. So when the recession happened, uh, I was in my sophomore year. And I remember by my junior year, people had lost their homes. People had lost their jobs. So the state had lost a lot of revenue. And the way they were trying to bridge the gap of what they lost, they were thinking of removing some of the subsidies for public colleges and universities, which would have caused for tuition to go up. And for folks like me, that would have priced me out. Uh, so that's how I really got into activism because me and a bunch of other friends um, were like, hell no, we won't go. Uh, you're not going to break the economy and then price us out 
and we're busting our ass, mm-hmm. you know, um, which led me into organizing. Uh, and we raised, you know, just a little bit of hell, uh, uh, which got my name in the paper. <laughs> just the right amount of hell. Just the right amount of hell for them to find the money that apparently they, they were going to not uh, use for uh, the whole tuition price is the same. Um, and that led me to community organizing, um, which, which led me to realizing policies, how you change lives. Uh, I went back to school, got my policy degree. And after I graduated there, I got a job working for Congressman Steny Hoyer, which I still do outside of the legislature. So Maryland is a, is a part-time legislature. Uh, it's truthfully full-time year-round, but uh, historically, uh, you know, the legislature would meet when you couldn't farm or fish, which was during the winter. Uh, we would meet from the second Wednesday in January to the second Monday in April, just about the time that it's time for harvest uh, and time to start uh, fishing, whether you're getting crabs or other things for the bay. Uh, we've held that for 400 plus years, right? So our legislature still meets in that cycle. Uh, and majority of the members, not everyone, are part-time. They have jobs out, outside of that. Um, so to, to answer your question, uh, what's life as a state delegate? It's a hustle. I mean, like, like it is for most parents and most people, because you know we have our job where we are trying to pursue policies to improve our community, but we have a day job outside and family and, and things to balance, um, which I think makes us relate more um, uh, to everyday people because, you know, we have, matter of fact, I have colleagues who, as soon as the legislative session ended, went to the front lines to help address the COVID pandemic because they were doctors and nurses. You know, I have colleagues, I have a colleague who digs grapes, you know what I mean? On the Eastern shore, yeah. uh, who makes less than minimum wage, you know? So when they speak to these policies, it hits you different because, um, you know, it's not academic. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's real. Um, I enjoy being a state delegate. You know, I represent my home where I grew up. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on policies right now to break up the concentration of liquor stores in low-income communities uh, because we have a lot of data that shows that the concentration of these stores exacerbate uh, health disparities uh, and spurs on crime and other things. Um, we found out that uh, where we have these hyper-density of liquor stores in Prince George's County, Coincidentally, are the places where we don't also have grocery stores in our food deserts. So imagine that. Imagine that. It just happened to be the case. Right. Um, right. Amazing. So we have a bill that would allow the liquor stores to transfer to other places in the county that are rising. Uh, But we also are allowing the bill would allow grocery stores that locate in food deserts. You you can't sell uh, to those who may be listening to this and and don't live in Maryland. Grocery stores and convenience stores don't sell beer and wine here in Maryland like they do in other states, particularly in the South. Um, Our bill would allow grocery stores, not convenience stores, uh, grocery stores to sell beer and wine if they locate in a food desert uh, so that they get that extra 20 percent of their revenue, uh, which would be attractive to them. I've already passed bills on tax credits and things like that. This would be a added incentive uh, for us to address this crisis of access to healthy food, which addresses the, the disparity of having healthy people, right? Um, and also create competition for these, for these liquor stores. And uh, I brought that up as an example because that's something that is like you only pay attention to if you live in a community that doesn't have a grocery store and you have to drive 20 plus minutes mm-hmm. or give someone a ride to. 
uh, which matters to me because this is my home and I've seen it all my life. Um, we are, uh, you know, this has been a tough year. It, uh, there, there's a number of fights we had over this year over whether we should have a special session to address some of the challenges we're seeing in people potentially uh, getting evicted um, uh, either from their rental unit or from their uh, you know, foreclosing on their homes. And uh, it's, you know, it's tough. I have, I have to remind folks, state government is not like federal government. They, they operate differently. I'll, I'll give you a prime example. Um, when the federal government doesn't have to balance their books, right? This is why you have all these conversations about debt. Whenever they want to do something, they essentially put it on the credit card uh, and get bondholders to, uh, you know, they, they issue credit uh, for, as far as bonding and the people invest in that because it's safe. States aren't allowed to do that, okay, because we don't manage our own currency. We all are managed by the federal government, which means that when we run out of money, we run out of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And the only way kinda we can like get... like home. <laughs> yeah, kind of like home, right? The only way we can get more money is if we either cut stuff, uh, cut programs, increase taxes, or get a transfer from the federal government on something, okay? Um, so uh, folks ended up on different spaces uh, of that debate of whether we should have a special session. Um, some people felt it'd be very hard for us to increase taxes in the middle of a pandemic when people are losing their jobs. Uh, you know, homeowners are, are stretched asking for forbearance. You, know, you don't wanna increase property taxes on people who may not have income coming in. Um, but at the same time, we have core programs we need to take care of. So we ended up not doing a special session. That was the decision of our uh, presiding officers because we were betting that um, our colleagues on Capitol Hill, particularly our Democratic colleagues, would get state and local money in the deal that would help us so we wouldn't have to make these tough choices of cutting core programs or increases increasing taxes, um, you know, on, on those who, who are most, most hurt. Uh, and um, so we, you know, so we have a lot ahead of us this upcoming session. Um, but I think we're ready, for, ready for a challenge. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate you breaking it down because I know Maryland is fairly unique in terms of its legislature. And, and also that difference between state and federal is an important, you know, clarification to make. Because, uh, yeah, we, you know, States, you know, cities, they don't print money. <laughs> you know, the federal government definitely has a lot more leeway financially, but they, you know, they still find a way to shut down the government every couple of years. But uh, exactly. Anyway, you got one yeah, job. Yeah. So, I mean, you got one job. <laughs> right. 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 Let's see how hard we can make this one job. Um, but yes, I mean, you kind of got into it a little bit. Um, so how, how was 2020 for you? I mean, I mean, it started off pers- on a personal note, you know, burying your father, which which, you know, was was tough in in its own right. I, I can only, I can only imagine what that was like. And then to roll into you know a legislative session, and then to with it, during that session have to, you know shutting everything down with, with COVID and everything. Um, and then of course later you know later in the, in the year we got so many examples of police brutality coming like coming out us like a fire hose. Um, so I mean, how, what was twenty twenty like for you? Twenty twenty was really busy, um, but. Um but as you know, 2020 was like a year of service, right? So we, we had to end our legislative session early because of the pandemic. We ended it three and a half weeks early than we, earlier than we normally would. We still were able to pass the budget and do a lot of the core things we needed to. One, in, in case I, I got a bill passed to put together a work group to study 
police body cam storage, one of the reasons why a lot of jurisdictions don't have police officers using body-worn cameras is because the cost of purchasing the devices and storing the data of them. Uh, so we were studying different ways to find more cost-effective ways to purchase the devices and store the data, uh, maybe at the state level, so that uh, each of these police departments won't have to bear that cost. Uh, but then we can tie accountability and transparency measures on that, right? Um, right. That was something we were able to get done. I spent a lot of the uh, of March and April and May helping citizens get unemployment insurance, hosting town halls. Um, you know, for a lot of particularly sole proprietorships, realize that they can file for unemployment insurance when normally they wouldn't be able to uh, to help them get by. Um, and then, of course, in May, there was the murder of George Floyd. You know, we had. Uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, I mean, so many that happened. Uh, that's not even to mention those that have happened here in Maryland, like William Green, uh, who, who mm -hmm. those who, who aren't aware, um, was, was uh, you know, shot over a dozen times in a police cruiser. Uh, he had been arrested, his hands put behind his back, sat in the passenger seat, and then the officer, while in the car with him, uh, shot him, uh, I think, about a dozen times, which was ridiculous. Um, it's happening all over. Um, we put together a work group in the House. The Senate had their own thing going on, putting together, studying what police accountability measures. Um, and, you know, I was supportive of that. Just, just for background knowledge for folks, a couple years ago, Johns Hopkins University pushed to get their own police force um, in, in, in the state, and they ended up getting it um, because they had enough political power uh, to push it through. Uh, but me and a bunch of colleagues offered about a dozen amendments such as they can't militarize their police with uh, surplus equipment from Department of Defense, right? You can't be no rolling. No Johns Hopkins SWAT team. Yep. No Johns Hopkins SWAT. Uh, not allowed to have that. Uh, you know, they, they can't have tanks and military grade drones and that type of stuff. You know, this isn't Baghdad, right? It's not okay there. It's not okay mm -hmm. here. Um, they, they have to have body-worn cameras for all of their officers in the field. If the cameras are off um, and, and someone has an altercation with the police, uh, that in and of itself is a, 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 uh, uh, an incident to which the community could sue over. Uh, they have a civilian review board that the community chooses its leadership on there. And most civilian review boards, people don't realize that uh, the police chief typically chooses who's on the civilian review board to hold police officers accountable, uh, not the community. Uh, we, didn't, we made sure that wasn't the case. Because Johns Hopkins uh, isn't an actual county or city, uh, we put barriers over where they could police based on the streets so that if they find themselves into a surrounding neighborhood and they get into something, they have no jurisdiction and they are liable. Um, you know, we, we put a whole bunch of transparency measures uh, on them um, that that is a blueprint for the accountability measures we're about to take statewide now, which I'm very proud of, uh, such as also like independent prosecution. Uh, we're, we're bringing forward legislation on that. I'm a strong believer that in most professions, even me as an elected official, we don't self-police. You know, we have a state prosecutor who looks into us. You know, we're not looking into ourselves. Uh, I think we should have an independent special prosecutor who 
reviews police misconduct cases. And as I've talked to law enforcement of color in particular, you know, uh, Latino officers, black officers, LGBT officers, women officers, uh, they would prefer independent special prosecutor because they feel like when you go to internal affairs, uh, the information always gets out and they end up getting punished for speaking up. Uh, so it needs mm. to be separate. Uh, we're bringing legislation on all of that. Um, that has been critically important. The other thing that 2020 has shown me, uh, it's just built a greater fire in addressing a lot of the inequalities that were already there. Of course, on police brutality, uh, but also on healthcare uh, and you know how you're treated in prison. You know, Maryland. Many people think of Maryland as a progressive-ish state or liberal-ish state. Uh, no, as a percentage of your population. No state incarcerates more black people than Maryland. You know, 70% of our prison population is black, higher than Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, all of them, Um, which is just a shame. Uh, I did not know that. That's crazy. You know, in Maryland, um, we have a phrase in Maryland called restrictive housing. They say that instead of if you were if you go to the secretary of corrections and say, you know, I want us to abolish solitary confinement. He would say, we don't do solitary confinement in Maryland. You'd walk away very happy, thinking like, oh, my state is so liberal. What we do is we place two people in a cell for 22 hours a day or more uh, without being able to get out or see the light. Okay? That, that allows them to say that we don't do solitary confinement. We do what's called restrictive housing, uh, which, this, which is the same thing uh, based off of medical professionals. Uh, I've been pushing legislation to stop that, right? And, and particularly... If you're in solitary confinement or if you're locked up, you can't socially distance, you know. Uh, so if, if people are safe to come home and you have the measures to bring them home, then do so instead of letting them die in prison. Right. Um, racial wealth inequality. We've noticed that the, the people who have survived this pandemic the best are those who have the resources that they can go six months without working. Right. Mm-hmm. Or. They can relocate and work uh, virtually from their beach home or their family home, wherever that is. Uh, if you if you can't do that, right? If if you know you are living paycheck to paycheck, or let's say you're fortunate to have a two income family, and then one of you know the parents can't go to work, what happens to the entire family when all your expenses are based off the two of them? That's been a big challenge. So we're bringing together a black agenda package focused on addressing uh, some of those racial wealth inequality issues as well. Yeah, that's what's up. That's, that's good stuff. I did not know that Maryland incarcerates the mo- most black people of any state. I did not, in, from, as a proportion, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I remember one of the things I was involved in back in Maryland when I was um, in student government was trying to, and it, it, this was just, a, it was, it was kind of a symbolic measure. It couldn't actually do anything tangible. But what, what we wanted to do was pass legislation that would say that the student body was against the Comar regulations that require Maryland to purchase products from Maryland Correctional Enterprises, which, which you know, as you know, but listeners might not know, is, is the state-run furniture salesman. And, and they sell other stuff, too, but products that are built by prisoners, i.e. enslaved people, um, according to your 13th Amendment. So... Um, you know, that was something I was involved in and I, I didn't, I didn't effectively manage my 
my time speaking at that SGA session. So I kind of, I allowed questions to, uh, to take on some of my time. Basically, I allowed naysayers to like ru- ruin my opportunity to make the case and then it was voted down. So um, my, my, my uh, political novice, <laughs> you know, appro- my, my noviceness in terms of that situation, you know, quelled that opportunity or that attempt. But that's been something that's been pas- that I've been passionate about for a long time. And I'm glad that you're addressing that in, in, a, in a few ways here in Maryland, in, in a very tangible, real way, in a very grown up way, not just in SGA, but this, I mean, this is, this, you're, you're, you're really at the table and I really appreciate that, you know, you're doing what you're doing. I enjoy the work we get to do, man. I, you know, I go to work every day and I feel like this is, um, this is my calling that God's called me to do. Uh, and I, and I love it. Um, you know, like like anyone else, I don't particularly care for a lot of the, the politics per se, uh, but it but it comes with it. Um, and by politics, I mean you know there's 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 egos and personalities, and you got to learn to build relationships to kind of get through that and past that, so that what you're working for doesn't get stymied. You know, when I first got in Annapolis, yeah. uh, I was I was 27. I turned 28 like a month later, so I was the young guy on the block. Uh, there's, fortunately, <laughs> right. there's plenty of folks younger than me there now, which is good. You know what I mean? Because I'm just 31. Awesome. Uh, so there's a diverse, a diverse uh, perspectives that are in the room, which I think makes better policy. But often, no matter how much data I had and how compelling I thought my arguments were, you know, folks look at me like, who's this 27-year-old dude, you know, talking all this <laughs> stuff? And um, so I was like, fine. So I had to go to work electing people who... Uh, Agreed with me, <laughs> you know, right, and, uh, right. and and yeah. now we're passing some bills. So let's yeah. get it done. So I, a couple of questions I have for you around that is like, I guess one is, do you, do you find being a state delegate as like a, a kind of a, a, an ideal, I don't know if I should use the word ideal, but an ideal niche in terms of a political career, or does this make you, you know, want to do some work here, but then also to look, look to other offices, whether that's at a federal level or, you know, at, like governorship or anything like that. Did, did, does this inspire you to do to have your eyesight other other places or is this kind of like a nice little spot where you can really have impact and and, it, and it's it's tangible enough and it's also not too political? I imagine that things get even worse when you get to the federal level. So, yeah. yeah. What, what is this? What is this experience giving you in ter- or what is this experience, you know, done to your you know, political impressions of this country and, and your aspirations therein? It's, it's definitely inspired me, and I'll, I'll explain how. So in, another thing in Annapolis, not only are we a part-time legislature, which I think helps us relate, but we also have very limited staff. You know, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. would assume being elected official, you have, you know, a staff of 5, 10, 15 people, you know, helping you with policy. <laughs> yeah. I got one person. Um Mm. Yeah, I got one person and my entire office budget is like less than 60 grand to, to, to pay my one person, do correspondent with constituents, uh, everything, you know. Um, uh, so one of the things that's it's made me think is just like, wow, if I can have this level of change with these limited resources, right, if I had a capacity where I could be focused on, you know, systematic change full-time with adequate staff, like how monumental could that be in the lives of like everyday people? Uh, that's, 
that's where my mind goes. So I, I don't, you know, I don't know what role that is. Um, I do see me, I, I, you know, you can have a lot of impact from deciding, look, I'm going to stay here in the legislature and have and do things because, you know, state legislatures are where state government are like our laboratories of democracy. It's where everything gets tried out before it goes nationwide. You, you know, think about the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Romney care. Romney care. It was Romney care, right? In Massachusetts. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> you know, and Obama specifically went with that idea because it it's, came from a conservative thinking that they would buy into it. And then they exactly <laughs> they didn't do that so much. But um, but that's typically how it how it works. So, you know, I'll give you an example of something I'm working on at, at the state level right now that I'd love to take um, nationwide. And whether that's whether that's in Congress or, or me as a state delegate, just, you know, going state to state uh, and, and reaching out to people because you can you can do that, too. Um, is is you know this this issue of racial wealth inequality um, from housing to businesses, and we know that forty one percent of the businesses that have closed during the pandemic are black owned, despite the fact that only three percent of businesses in the country are black. Right. So why is that? Well, because we don't get access to capital uh, from the traditional banking sources. All right. So we need to expand access to capital. Um, to minority communities, to rural communities that have, have similar rates. And um, the traditional banking sector doesn't have an interest in doing that because, you know, they have the same underwriting costs if they're doing a $5 million loan or a $5,000 loan, right? So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to focus all their attention on the $5 million loan instead, of, yep. in, instead of the smaller guys. And I think government could, could step in here in a major way. Um, Maryland, for example, is sitting on about $60 billion in assets uh, in our pension funds for the, for the public. And we have to invest this in something to generate a return for our retirees, right? Instead of us investing this in Apple or Amazon, right, uh, these big corporate, you know, you know, you know conglomerates, behemoths, behemoths um, that are very monopolistic and shut out other people, why don't we use a portion, a portion of that money? First off, why don't we have a portion of that money managed by diverse fund managers who understand where the limited uh, spaces of capital are, and then make sure a percentage of that money are going into these communities that otherwise wouldn't get it? Um, I, I think that could be life changing. I'm working on something right now that would get us using all of the different pensions and retirement funds in Maryland to just have some policy at some 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 small level that would encourage directly investing uh, into these communities. Because unlike the banks and unlike venture capital, you know, retirement funds and pension funds, they're not looking for the next Facebook, you know, WhatsApp. They're not looking for something that's going to go a billion. They're looking for something that's going to provide a dedicated, consistent return so their retirees can get their money every month on time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, right. So that when the, exactly. when the barbershop, you know, might not look appealing to Bank of America, it might look appealing to a couple of these uh, pension funds because everyone got to get their hair cut every two weeks. I know I got to go, you know. So, right. Right. Um, you know, but that's something I'd love. And, I, and I'm talking to some folks in some other states of like taking this idea of like making sure we have diverse fund managers uh, and that we invest our money 
diversely as well. Um, you know, I just, I just think that if 2020 has showed us anything, this pandemic has shown us anything, is that when America coughs, you know, we've heard it a million times, right? Like specifically the black community, minority communities sneeze, catch a flu, die, and we need not wait until a pandemic every time to fix stuff. So let's just get it done and build the political will right now uh, to, to write some of these stuff that we fully have the capacity uh, to deal with. question about just dealing with the legislature uh and and the state government what is it like working with i know we're we're a fairly blue state here in maryland but what is it like working with the republicans here in this state and how has a a how has it been working with them b um how have from your vantage point how have they taken the trump presidency and this election cycle if if you had any insight onto that uh it's it's been very it's been very interesting um, so I'm actually, I'll say first, I actually enjoy working with Republicans. Um, I like, you know, I, I kind of feel like you don't truly believe something if you can't allow someone else's idea to compete up against yours, you know, uh, if other, if, if you can't stand your ground, like intellectually with someone else to show you really believe what you believe, then you're essentially become, you've become partisan in my view. You know what I mean? You don't believe yeah. this because you just think this is good policy. It's, it's you know, partisan positioning that's convenient for you, right? Um, so I enjoy talking to them because we often find that our ideas don't, aren't always in conflict. Sometimes they are, but other times they're not. Like, I'm actually, one of my primary bills I'm working on right now has a, in the Senate, there's a Republican who's the, who's the sponsor of it. I'm the House sponsor as a Democrat. A, a young black brother from Prince George's County. Uh, he's a older white, you know, Republican from rural Baltimore County. Uh, but we've come to the same place on this issue uh, as it relates to prison reform for juvenile lifers. We don't think that, you know, people who are sentenced. For, for, first off, our our conservative Supreme Court has ruled that giving juveniles life without the possibility of parole is unconstitutional uh, because their minds haven't developed to be able to fully comprehend their their choices even when they make terrible choices right they did that back in 2012 they reaffirmed it again in 2013 and 2016 Um, so we have a bill to ban giving juveniles life without the possibility of parole it also would give any juvenile who's giving life without the possibility of parole or something like that, like 50 years, 60 years, whatever. After you serve 20 years, you have the opportunity to go before a judge and they re- review a number of factors to see if you're reformed. Um, you know, there's a ton of data by the National Institute of Justice that shows that you know, people's likelihood to reoffend after they pass 30 years old dropped to less than 5%. Right? 
right? So like, why are we incarcerating you until you're 60 years old, 70 years old, when the likelihood of you doing anything wrong, I mean, a speeding ticket um, is nil after you turn like 32 years old. Um, I, you know, it just doesn't make sense. It's not, we're not being a good steward of the taxpayer's money, but morally it's also wrong. And we don't think about the opportunity costs of not having those folks who've made bad choices and served their time return to communities and inspire the next generation, you know, like that's that's missed yeah. out as well too. And and, and he fully, agrees and with fully me. investing that, and and that's great that he agrees with you. And but and, but not only just letting them come back, but as fully fully realized American citizens with their with the, all of their rights, the ability all to get their a loan, the ability yep. to do everything that they would as they as if they hadn't made that choice. Because if this is a correctional system and they come out, they should be corrected and therefore they should be able to do anything anybody else does. And, and I think that age is interesting. The fact that that data shows that, you know, 30, 32 is when the, the, the recidivism rate drops precipitously. You mentioned when, when your brain is fully developed for men, that's like 26, 27 or something like that. So Correct. That, that age is not a surprise to me because that's when things are starting to click. So, yeah, that, wow. And your peer group is changing. Right. So like when do most people yeah. commit crimes? You know, uh, the age they have most people committing crimes is between, you know, 16 and 24. Right. Uh, because everyone is young and not fully developed. And after that, it trails off. Why? Because folks are starting to have families or getting to a career or realizing what they want out of life. You know, um, and yeah. now they're just not doing other things. OK. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, just think about use. Use Jay-Z as an example, you know, like, you know, when he was when he was first rapping early on, he was talking about a lot of different things. Then when he started talking about, you know, 30 is the new 20, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, right. It's, you change, right? So our laws and policies should reflect that. Uh, but to your point of working with Republicans, they can be intransient sometimes. I mean, there's there's things, you know, like I anticipate when we start this upcoming legislative session, there being a showdown of them not wanting to wear their masks, which is crazy. You know, we've we've empowered our state police. None of us can enter the uh, the chambers without a mask. So I, I anticipate a couple of my Republican colleagues getting dragged out uh, forcibly just because they want to make a statement. Um, you know, that type of stuff, I think, is 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 silly. Um, but I don't always think the conservative philosophy is at odds with, you know, what I kind of consider my more pragmatic, progressive philosophy. You know, we just believe different things. They're not opposite of each other, um, you know, if we end up in the same place. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a good point. I think that's a, a healthy perspective to have because a lot of I mean, things have definitely gotten polarized, you know, and that's one thing I know Obama said that he wishes he, he was able to, he wished, one of the things he said he wished he could have done a better job of is healing that divide. Um, I think a lot of that was, you know, I don't think he could have controlled some of that. Yep. Um, and and I, I know with, 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 with 45, I know that's just gotten worse. So um, yeah, I, that, that's definitely tough, but it, but your perspective is, is useful to think of it not as an, not as opposing sides, but as, you know, differing, differing thought processes or different, you know, sometimes the goals might be similar, like especially with prison reform and stuff like that. Uh, maybe the approaches are different. Maybe the wants are different. Like, you know, conservatives might want to save money. 
mm-hmm. you know, liberals might want to be a little bit more humane in terms of our treatment of human beings or, you know, whatever that angle is or whatever. But, the, you know, the, the, the actual result from a policy standpoint could be the same. And that, that, there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. Yep. So um, speaking of Obama, I know there was a, a little bit of uh, he, he's been on his, his, his radio road show promoting his book. And I know there was that there was that moment between him and, and I think Ilan Omar, like, you know, went against what he said in terms of, you know, slogans and defunding the police and all that. And, I, you know, I saw on Trevor Noah, he tried to kind of re, re, recouch what he said about slogans. And he made this he, he kind of was trying to draw the analogy that, you know, James Baldwin was a, was a brilliant, you know, he was brilliantly able to describe the black condition and, you know, I think he, had, he said he just read uh, The Fire Next Time and, and he read it again this year and he was like, it's still relevant today. But James Baldwin couldn't necessarily be a politician because politicians can't talk like that. And they, and they, they have to not that they can't talk like that, but they have to, you know, represent a, a wide array of people. And they ultimately have to work with others that disagree and get policy done. And he kind of put those as, as things that can't be, the, be in the same boat. And. I mean, knowing you, I, I know how your mind works. I know how you're, you know, you're rooted in activism. You're, you're about the people. And I mean, to me, that's what makes a good representative. But Obama's answer kind of, and, and, and that his answer kind of digressed a little bit from the slogan thing. But I mean, I, I'm just curious what your perspective is on, on his, his little, his little tiff with, with, with Omar and, and, and really the Black Lives Matter concept yeah. and some of the slogans that have been, that have been happening recently about that topic i think there's a lot of things going on for one within like the broader democratic party there's a lot of like generational change um going on so just based based off of that alone stylistically there's going to be friction on how people go about things you know like i just think about a couple you know decades ago for example um you know burning the flag was what a lot of folks did uh, in the vietnam era it's like you can't do that right but when police would come to break up their rallies and stuff, they would thank the police for their service. You know what I mean? So that was a, mm. a thing you didn't touch. So a lot of those folks who are in their you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s now, they hear stuff like defund the police, like how can you say that? And, you know, whatnot. Uh, but they take it out of the context of, like we're talking about a tradition of activism and speaking truth to power uh, that has gone on from generations since the beginning of this country, right? Originally what people talking about, um, honestly, America's position to Great Britain being that effectively of slaves and then being people in the nation being like, well, you treat folks in your nation of slaves. So how about we have a real conversation of freedom and going on from there? So that, there's always going to be some differences. Me personally, um, I don't use the phrase um, defund the police for the for not not because I don't have an idea as to what it means to me, but because it means different things to different people, and I think as a uh, as an elected official, you have to speak you have to speak to a broad audience, but to do so, you have to use shared, understood language, and I don't think uh, defund the police is widely understood by the public the way a lot of the activists and other elected officials who use it want them to right now is is my point so I've, I've among my colleagues i've done a number of like little group sessions where we'll talk and be like well when you say defund the police what do you think and 
some of them who are kind of anti will say, like, yeah, they're trying to abolish the police. I'm like, yeah, but they didn't say that. If they, if they wanted to abolish the police, they would have said abolish, abolish the, police. the police. You know, they said defund the police. They're like, yeah, but like, what about our high crime communities and et cetera? You know, I'm like, yeah, but have you ever looked at the data on what police spend the majority of their time on? They spend the majority yeah. of their time on responding to traffic calls, domestic events, you know, uh, things of that nature. Not crime, as you think about it, right? Uh, violent criminals, theft, things of that nature. Um, so when you start to get there, you can be like, oh, so essentially you're having a conversation about investing in mental health, investing in community, letting police officers not have to do things that they shouldn't have to do, right? Getting other people to do those things so that they can scale up doing the things that they should be doing, but also you know, training them and putting other voices in the room and other accountability measures in the room to make a 21st century police force that is more community-based than, let's say, just focus on property rights of people who are mm -hmm. in power, okay? That is a long-winded thing to say, right? Of explaining. Right, right. So, you know, I don't really fault Obama. I also don't fault the people who are giving him smack for saying that you shouldn't say defund the police, you know, because... Neither of them are wrong, um, but it's just not widely understood phrase. So I think given until people decide to educate themselves, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I, was just, I was just think a few years ago when you would talk about just generally, like right now, police accountability is widely understood as something we need to do based off of body cam footage. I mean, just when, you know, a few years ago with Mike Brown and other folks, the majority of the nation was not for police accountability just when Mike Brown was murdered a few years back. But just this overwhelming amount of data we've gotten since we've kind of pushed up body-worn cameras. And, you know, and, and for those who listen, I'm not saying that body-worn cameras is an end-all silver bullet for stuff. You know what I mean? It's, in most cases... Body-worn camera footage exonerates officers. But what it has done is that it has given proof to the public to help us tell our narrative. So now, when we say police accountability, it's widely understood that police violate the humanity of black people all the time. And it needs to stop, right? I, I don't think defund the police has reached that level yet as a phrase, the way police accountability has. Yeah, I mean, even Black Lives Matter six years ago, seven, you know, five, six, seven years ago, was, had a fraction, literally fractions of the approval that it has now. And, and body work cameras is part of that. But even just, even just public perceptions and awareness of things ha has brought it to that point. So I guess it's interesting to think of how slogans are, are important and maybe it just takes time for them to really matriculate in, into the, and the understanding of their, of their complexity, the complexity behind the slogan and how that, and maybe maybe it takes time for that to develop. I mean, one one thing though that I, I think is interesting to compare this to is that the Republican Party is freaking genius with slogans, and it doesn't take time for them to catch on. I mean, everybody calls the Affordable Care Act Obamacare, and that is utterly offensive to me. The yeah. fact that Democrats have allowed this to be the name for the Affordable Care Act, which is Romney Care, yep. like that's offensive to me. Like. Why, why, is the Democratic start, why is the Democratic Party so terrible at coming up with slogans that catch on and, 
tangibly mold the psyche of America. Whereas, I mean, the Republican Party has, has done it time and time again for the last literally 40 years. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, one of the challenges, you know, they have a small, a smaller in-group to manage than we do, right? So, like, mm, one of the things that right. I think that, that get in the way for Democrats is that we are, we're always trying to pontificate in a way that this big tent allows everyone to feel like they were touched, whereas they're not worried about that. You know, I mean, they speak to a very specific base. Um, you know, they, they, they speak to predominantly their policies doesn't follow this, but their language speaks to middle aged, disgruntled white males predominantly. You know, that's all they care about. You know, um, now their policies speak almost exclusively to wealthy people, you know. Right. Um, right. It's amazing. But, <laughs> but, you know, they're, that's what they do, right? When we do stuff like that, it isn't inclusive enough. And then we have within party fights, you know. So, for example, mm. um, we had arguments when people first started saying Black Lives Matter. There's Democrats that are pushing for us to say all lives matter because, you know, that way it's inclusive of women and Latinos and everything else. It's just like, you know, and, you know, low income whites. And just like, you know, not only are you overthinking this, you're also dehumanizing a group that is saying specifically like, no, I'm not saying that your lives shouldn't matter. I'm saying that our lives should. It's not the same thing. Right. And right. that's that's the problem with the Democratic Party. Like we we got to get past this, you know. Like if I if I if I speak my truth, it does not mean that I don't believe in your truth, you know. Right. right. But 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 we have to give an essay uh, whenever we speak to anything, uh, or else you know folks, you know folks don't believe they're included, and and there's a lot of reasons for that. But that's you know, uh, that's that's why uh, I actually think we're getting a. I think we're getting a little bit better with that, um, particularly because of spaces like Twitter and, and, and other things where like, you know, while the politicians are doing their long soliloquies, the people are just speaking. You know what I mean? And it's catching right. fire. Uh, and then they, right, catch, right. they catch later. Like defund the police was just like that. Like it didn't start with politicians saying it, you know. Uh, no, no, no disrespect to, to Omar. Like, I, you know, I respect her, but, you know, she didn't start saying defund the police. You know what I mean? It was it was uh, it was people in the streets started saying defund the police, and um, and they were speaking to the people who were in the streets with them who knew what they meant, right? So it was actually like a within, you know, it's it's almost like um, I'm trying to think of a colloquial that's within the black community that we all know uh, that you know um, it it was like the nod, it's like the nod, okay, right. Yeah. It's like anyone yeah. who's who's gone particularly to a, a PWI or you're black and you work in a predominantly white space and you see another particularly black person, but loosely speaking person of color uh, and you see them, they may be on the other side of the room. You just do like a gent nod where you acknowledge each other's yeah. existence. Right. And everyone yeah. else may not understand what's going on there, but you do. And they it's might not, not to even s- see it. They might not even see it. And it's not to say that you don't acknowledge everyone else's existence, but because you are rare in this room, you're the one that's rare in this room, you appreciate having someone else who acknowledges yours. I think that's what the defund yeah. the police phrase is to those who are most convicted in the, in the community in the streets uh, about that. I don't, 
I don't personally use the, the phrase um, just because I have to speak to you know, a wide audience that I don't think has taken the time to, uh, to understand it. And I had to educate myself. You know, I organized after George Floyd's murder. I was thinking, I was like, you know what, how are our kids responding to this right now? So I organized Flowers High School, a bunch of students to just have a session to talk, right? We did it virtually. And they started saying defund the police. You know what I mean? I was like, well, what do you mean? Now, in that call, those students actually meant abolish the police. And, mm. I, was, and I was just like, well, um, you know, I was just like, what, you know, what, what happens when, um, you know, one parent beats up the other parent? You know what I mean? Like, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the sad things about Prince George's County, which I'm also working to address, is, you know, we lead the state in domestic violence related murders, you know? Uh, you, you need someone to call. Um, now, does it need to be a militarized police force? No, not necessarily. Uh, but, but you need someone to help de, you know, de-escalate a, a situation, but also sometimes come in with force. You know, I can think of the last officer who was murdered in the county responded to a domestic-related event. Uh, a, a, a man was, was beating his wife. The, the, the officer came. Uh, he knocked on the door. The door was open, and the the husband that was beating on the wife uh, uh, pulled up his shotgun and, and blew the officer away. You know, um, so you know, wow. there's no in policy. There's no one size fits all. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, because people have to respond to real life. But I don't disparage folks who use the the phrase defund the police at all. I, I see it as the nod. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. I feel you. And I guess. Do you, like you said, you don't use it. Is that because, I mean, do do you see yourself as a leader though? That maybe you you using it in context and explaining it to certain people. Do you think do you think you have a role in that, or do do you think? I mean, you say you don't use it, you know, right now. Like, what what would it take for you to kind of like start to do that? Well, what I've been doing is like with my colleagues, I've been having more conversations with people over explaining and educating what defund the police. Uh, means so essentially what i say is i don't say i endorse defund the police i talk to people about what defund the police mean to folks who use the phrase uh to help expand the collective knowledge right, right. uh that's yeah. that's a little wonky but i i do it so that those who hear the phrase and it's jarring to them will hear the will hear the message behind it that they need to receive without turning off you know yeah that's important for sure. I see that. at the clock it's crazy we obviously we're like nerds and we love the nuance of politics and all this because we talked about that for quite a minute now i definitely wanted wanted to get into some just life stuff too i mean i, I wanted to first of all we, we played in a band together do you still yeah. play the guitar at all <laughs> I, I i do matter of fact hold on a quick second uh i, I play whenever i get a chance i don't get a whole lot now uh, i don't know if you're gonna nice. play this online or if it's just gonna be audio but i still i still jam uh, when I get some time to do so, not as much 
as I would like. Uh, but you know I love music, yeah. man. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you what song you're rocking to later as, as we close out the the show. So I hope you have one in mind for that. But I'm glad you're still playing. I know when 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 the baby comes around and all. The, I know I stopped making beats right around right before my son was born, and and I you know I, I don't. I mean that's just what it was. You know what I'm saying? That was just how I, I was just moving, and that was what it was. And eventually I got I got back into it. Um, so yeah, more power to you to keep keep up with the music. I know yeah. that's got to be therapeutic. You know, as you're going through all the changes and, and struggles of, of what this year has been, and, and really, it's just going to be something beautiful for life all the way I'm, through. I mean, I'll tell you, I haven't had a chance to play since he was born nine weeks ago. So. <laughs> ah, see, that's okay. That's okay. This, nine weeks. These first few months are, are nuts. So I definitely no judgment. I, I probably I might have taken a better part of a year off for real. Really? So. And I started a little bit before he was born, and and, and after for a while. I might have dabbled a little bit, but you know when and when I get to making beats, it's like I, I might start something. I'll be like, "That's garbage," and then I won't <laughs> touch it. And it took me a while to get warmed up to the fact to the point where I was comfortable working on music for myself, which is crazy. But that <laughs> that's how my mind works anyway. But yeah, I, I, keep it up when you're able to. But you know, definitely, definitely the the, the baby uh, definitely takes priority for a while. And speaking of which, I mean, how 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 has it been being a father? I mean, I, I know that's got that has to have changed. The perspective on on you know what you do in terms of in, in terms of being a delegate and actually I mean I meant to mention this at the top but one of your Instagram feeds you were talking about you like you had your son and you were just talking about like how it was a real like surreal moment you were just like man like this this is I can't remember exactly what you said but it hit me you were, you were just basically like this is this is some real this is a real pivotal time and like it's not about us it's about the, the kids like they, they are here and they have no idea what what they're in the middle of right now and it's up to us to lead this current moment through to some sustainable you know future for them and and I was just like Phew. I, that's 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 extremely real and um yeah I I appreciated you putting that out there and yeah. and um I feel you on that yeah I um it is, uh, it's been a treasure. Um, it's, it's been a treasure. Like I started at the beginning, you know, this has been a tough year personally uh, for me. And uh, my son's like my little joy. That's my little soldier right there. Um, yeah. I, his name's Miguel, Miguel Antonio Lewis. I named him after my father. Um, oh, nice. And uh, his middle name's after um, my, my, my wife's grandfather. Um, so now I love that boy. Um, and I think about the type of world he's going to inherit, uh, which is based on the decisions we make today, you know, and that's hitting me more, not just like personally with my family, like what, what am I doing for my family? But like, you know, the environment, like I remember the first time I was pulled over by the police when I was like 16 years old, you know? in how I was treated. Uh, first time I was pulled over to police, I was maybe two minutes from my house. Uh, 16 mm, years. It's always, 16, it's always close to the home. Yeah, man. That first time, yeah. And I was, I was terrified. Just straight up terrified. And it was a black officer. And I think he could tell I was terrified. You know? And he did all he could to like, you know, try to be like, hey... 
you know, I, I thought she was just going a little too fast, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's okay, you know, you don't have to worry about anything, like, like, clearly, but, like, it is, it is that, right, like, that is, that's the world I inherited because of situations me and my friends had with police just walking around the neighborhood, so the first time I got pulled in a car, and I Heard so many stories and experiences I had. Now I've lost count how many times I've been pulled over uh, by police. How many times police officers have yanked me out of the car, thrown me on the ground, put me in handcuffs, uh, only to find out that the car I'm in is my car, things like that. And I don't want my son to experience none of that. You know, so right. um, I don't want your son to experience none of that. And yeah. I've just been having this idea that. You know, stuck in my mind that, you know, he's nine weeks old, so I post pictures of him. Everyone's like, oh, he's so cute. Look at those cheeks, you know. Um, and he's cute until he turns like 12, 13, you know. Yep. And then he starts to get yeah. a little height, and that, that boy starts to get a little deeper. Now, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, you know, folks may be a little scared of him uh, because of both his blackness and his maleness intersecting in such a way that they were trained to think he's a threat, uh, even though just five minutes ago uh, he was this lovable kid. Um, you know, that's, I think, particularly because I'm in the legislature, it makes me feel like we have to fix this now. Um, yeah. Like we just, you know, we just have, I, 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 I would not forgive myself if we did not push the same way like these conservatives are pushing to pack the court with these like uh, these folks. Judges. Uh, yeah. these, you know, I, I, I couldn't forgive myself. Um, you know, so I think fatherhood has given me like new purpose. Uh, it's made me more of a worry work than I already was. Uh, but it's also given me joy in this year that I was just kind of like, you know. Just, just pushing through, you know, like trying to find time to grieve while helping others. And now, you know, I got to change diapers on two-hour rotations. You know? Yeah. And uh, exactly. And I get to see his smiling face looking up at me. And for some reason, I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, nah, for sure. And it's one of those things too. Like, and my son is seven, and so his name is Avery. And so, for him, it's like. I mean, he, he's, he's got some awareness of things. Like, he came from school talking about Ruby Bridges. So he, he's, got some, he's got some idea of, like, things aren't fair and stuff like that. And so the question I constantly have is how much do I expose him to? How much do I share with him about the present moment? For example, like, when, when Chadwick Boseman died, that was not something that we shared with him. Um, and, you know, when George Floyd happened, when every, all the protests were happening, you know, I just told him generally that like, people are protesting because we aren't being treated fairly and whatever. I didn't, you know, the details, how, how much how much should he know at seven? I'm, I'm sure some parents are telling their seven-year-olds more details, and that's fine. I just, it's just a constant, it's a con- I'm not going to say it's a constant struggle. It's just a constant, yeah. almost a test of myself as an adult. And, and knowing that I want to shape this mind in a certain way, how do I best do that without triggering him or tra- creating trauma, but also, you know, creating, creating a, a very rooted and real sense of what things are actually like. So that way, I mean, 
uh, people tell their kids, oh, you got to get you got to work twice as hard for half as much. I hate I, I hated that. Like, I yep. hated hearing that. Yep. And when I was in the work world with black people, they, everybody would always say that. And I was like, no, just bump that, I, you know, until I experienced it. And I was like, well, I guess it's true. <laughs> so it's like, you know, like how much do we tell our kids that versus how much do we, you know, I don't know. It, that, that's a constant thing that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about now that my son is at, at the age of seven. You got to get them diapers changed right now. <laughs> but I know, yeah. I know once two, three, four rolls around, you're going to have yeah. these same questions. And it's just like, you know. No, I think about that. Like, how do I want to, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's my job to guide him. I can't fully curate his life. Um, yeah. You know, but I, but I do think about, you know, for one, it's not fair to have that burden, right? Why do one group of people That's have true. to, you know, burden their child? With, instead of just being great, you know, they have to be twice as great to, to compensate for all the challenges they're going to face in life um, because of something they have nothing to do with, Right. Yeah, didn't cause um, and, anything. Didn't ask for. And um, and you know, I think you know we can't fully stop it, right? It's it's you know it's America's first sin um, in, in racism and discrimination, um, and it's like a it's like a tumor that just won't get cut out, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. through generations and generations. But I um, you know, but behind me I, I have this this this. The stink only a picture of uh, uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, but also a picture of John Lewis. I, love, I was peeping that. I, I, I didn't see the Malcolm part until you moved your head. And I was like, yo, yeah. that is dope. I love that picture, man. That, that, that yeah. painting, man. I've, I've taken the, um, the pandemic to kind of turn my, my basement, which is also my workspace, into like a mini art gallery to just inspire me, you know, uh, by, by just a bunch of leaders who've like, you know, done many things. Obviously, I got Rosa Park over here with the with a nah. <laughs> yeah, nah, uh, yeah, I like that. In the background. Um, but, you know, uh, about five years ago, I organized this voting rights forum with Congressman Hoyer and Congressman John Lewis. And, and, and Lewis, you know, John talked about coming from rural Alabama to becoming uh, a member of Congress and leading SNCC and speaking on the Marshall Washington you know, at like, like 22 years old, he was the youngest person there. Um, and how they got all this stuff done in, in the Voting Rights Act and, uh, you know, so, so many things. And then over his tenure in Congress. Uh, but he told me it is up to every generation to keep pushing, pushing the ball forward. You know, it's not yeah. really up yeah. to us when we say fix it. You know, it's. It's not like, you know, in our generation, we're going to single-handedly fix all the isms in America that all the generations before wasn't able to, right? Like, it's intractable. But by it, that means all of it that is possible for us to get done in our generation, yeah, we got to get that done, right? Uh, yeah. Just That just makes it so that Avery and Miguel, you know, maybe they still have to work harder, but maybe not twice as hard as everyone, you know? Right. right. Maybe just... 25% harder, you know, um, or, or 10% harder. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, but I'm like, you know, John told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's good to get that perspective from the elders and the fact that you were able to, to meet him and work with him, you know, before he passes is, is, you know, definitely amazing. I'm sure that 
that'll stick with you. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That that's such a such a it's such it's such a galvanizing thing to an extent. I mean, my my sister is eight years younger than me, and she checks me all the damn time. It's like you know, and and I appreciate that energy, but it's crazy how how much a difference eight years makes, much less you know, full decades makes. And, and I really think that it's a combination of, you know, we, we know we're in our thirties. So that, that 30 something, our generation who has 10 plus 10 plus years of experience post-college or whatever, you know, we, we've got some value in that experience. And then you've got folks that are just coming out of college now who have, they're like fed up with it. Like Gen, Gen Z is just like, nah, we're done. Like, we're, you know, my sister's like, people my age don't even think America's going to exist by the time our, you know, we have grandkids. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> so it's like, wow. I mean, there's like, she just, I mean, wow. just in terms of some of the circles that she's exposed to, they're like, they have no confidence in the dollar, no, no confidence in, in nationhood or whatever. And it's just like, I mean, I, yeah, I don't wow. know. It's just, it's just, it's just crazy to think about. I wonder sometimes how how much the algorithms from these social media platforms has to do with that. But that's a whole nother, maybe maybe something <laughs> to do with it. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Uh, but that is it very is. profound. Yeah, no, it's it's so I don't know. It, it, there's 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 a lot to there's a lot in there. But I think ultimately we we shape. Oh man, I, you you knew Ren McGrew, right? Yeah, at yeah. University of Maryland. Yeah. Yo, I'm, and he passed away, as you know, like back in June, and and like, that hurt. I remember one thing that he said that stuck with me. And for those who don't know, Rin McGrew uh, worked at Nimbrew Cultural Center, which was the which was the home away from home for any black person at Maryland, or for most black people at Maryland. Any 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 activist was in was in that was in that joint all the time, talking to Solomon Kamajan and and oh, yeah. Dr. Ziegler and Miss Carswell and everybody else. Um, but Rin McGrew was always there, always working the back. Um, he was always setting up, you know, the, the um, AV equipment, making sure everybody sounded good, the, our, our band and stuff, you know. Yep. Um, but what, one thing he said at a Black Male Initiative meeting when I was there was, you know, we are a product of our environments to a certain age, and then our environments are a product of us. Mm. And I was like, damn, that's that's it's validating of you of who you are where you come from but it's also empowering and it's like all right you can't ride on that forever at a certain point you are curating the world you're in Mm. and i mean everybody takes different paths to doing that and honestly i don't think a lot of people take ownership of that idea i mean you as a delegate you you are doing that and representing other people in a very 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 real and tangible organized way Um, but even just having a family is doing that you know even choosing a partner and and having a family, choosing where to live, like that, you are creating your environment, even in that context, in a very familial context. So wow. that's something that he stuck, that he said, that that has stuck with me ever since. And um, I don't know, I I just appreciate you doing what you're doing. I mean, you seeing seeing what you're doing gives me life. Just knowing that a fellow Sea Roots alum is is out here at a state at a state level making the moves that you're making. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of it. I'm appreciative of it. Thank and, you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan for sure. You keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate it, brother. And one of these days we got to get together and play some music, man. It's been, man, I, I need to learn, I, am, I need to get some guitar on these beats. <laughs> I am all about it. I was, I was telling my, um, I was telling my wife that, uh, we, so we have a group, Dems and Republicans who would uh, meet Monday nights 
in during the session and play basketball, uh, which I really mm. enjoyed. You know, we leave all the political stuff behind. No one even talks shop. Everyone, you just hear about people's family, people talking smack, you know. Nice. Uh, it's just a good time to decompress. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's uh, sometimes I do miss those moments where you're just like, you know, those – that normal human connection where you're just like, you know what, let me just go jam with someone real quick, right? Or, right, uh, right. Uh, you know, in politics, things are serious, but then you remember like, yo, people are still living their lives, you know? Yeah. Yes, some, some people are having hard times, but some people are having the best time of their life because they're just deciding to, you know? Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's important. Actually, funny story, I knocked on a door in, uh, where were we? In Lake Arbor, uh, in my district, uh, during the campaign. And like, uh, you know, a volunteer in the campaign knocked the door. I was on a different door talking to someone. And uh, a young lady, you know, gave the, uh, the homeowner one of my flyers. Like, hey, I'm here on behalf of uh, Delegate Jazz Lewis. He's running for re-election. And he was like, well, name like Delegate, he better, uh, name like Jazz, he better know how to play music. I was like, I don't talk to volunteers. I only talk to the candidate. Tell him to come over here. <laughs> so she comes over. She gets me. And he's like, he's like, you better play music with a name like jazz. I was like, well, you know. I was like, I play lead guitar. Uh, I was like, but I don't, you know, I don't have one here. You just have to take my word from it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't have a recording on me. Yeah. Um, so he was like, you stay right there. He opens his garage. And oh, he has no. like, he has like, <laughs> uh, you know, a drum kit there, uh, a bass, and, and a lead guitar, right? And the lead guitar was acoustic. So he was like, play. He was like, and if you're trash, uh, you know, you're not going to get my vote, and I'm going to tell everyone on the block not to vote for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, so I'm like, okay. So, like, I'm standing in this guy's garage just, like, jamming while he's staring at me. Um, when he, I, he didn't even play anything? Did he, did he no, play bass or drums or No, he didn't. Come he just on, stood man. there. Like a Bama, you know? Um, <laughs> he just stared at me. He just dropped the beat? You know, so I was just, you know, I was just, you know, uh, playing around uh, with a couple chords uh, in the improv, you know, here and there. And after, she's like, oh, you know, you're all right. You're all right. Uh, you know, I, I think I'll vote for you. Matter of fact, I'll send you a check, too, for your campaign. I was like, oh, I appreciate it. You know, that check never That's came. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, uh, I enjoy those type of moments, uh, in, you know, in the service. But I'd love to get together and jam. Uh, I, I, you know, actually, it'd be great if we can get everyone back together from the old band sometime. You know. Yeah. No. Nah, yeah. I, I I know Nick. Nick's still around. He he's he's doing photography now. He's taking some bomb photos. I've been I'm following him on Instagram now. Nice. He's doing big things. Kenny doing his thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Everybody's a lot of people got families now. It's it's it's, it's crazy seeing how everybody's all everybody's grown up <laughs> to an extent. Oh man, <laughs> I know. I was actually trying to look for my uh, uh, my my chord book that I had a bunch of. I was this was like like four months ago. I was looking for my chord book that had the chords and the strum patterns for a bunch of our songs, and I, oh, I just wow. couldn't find it. You know, because there are a couple oh, chords. Man, you got to find it at some point. Yeah. Uh, Cause I don't know if it was the time. It was, it was some song we had that was like a. It was like a strange chord I had that I was just like I can't remember it now. But it might be the time. time. The time has some cool chords on there. That's probably what it was. Yeah. 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 
That's it's, cool, man. Well, I guess one one final question, and then we'll we'll get to wrapping it up. So, what do you what are you looking forward to in twenty twenty one? I know we're coming up towards the end of twenty twenty. Thank goodness for many. I know many are like let's get let's let's dead twenty twenty. Um, twenty twenty one, just maybe a personal thing and a professional thing you want to accomplish next year. So, personal thing, um, I want to travel. Uh, I, w- I want me and my wife and my son. To travel after we get the vaccine because you know we haven't gone anywhere and um my, my wife her she, you know she's from the bronx but her family's from dominican republic uh mm. so you know we probably don't go there next year but but i would love to travel with them at, at some point just to get out of here somewhere near a beach um yeah you know we didn't go near any beach this 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 year this summer because my wife was pregnant uh, and we didn't want to risk, you know, me getting sick or her getting sick. Uh, professionally, you know, I have a slew of bills I'm working on from legalizing uh, cannabis uh, and ending prohibition, making sure we do auto expungement, all that type of stuff. Of course, I talked about the juvenile lifer bill um, that that we're working on. Uh, I'm doing some small business stuff there. I'm just I'm just excited. I'm doing a lot of collaborations with my colleagues that I just feel like. Whether it's because of the year we've had, whether it's because I've had my son who was just born, I just think the time is now, so I'm energized to get it done. And I think this session is going to be big. Uh, professionally, too, I work on the Hill for Congressman Hoyer, so I'm going to try to see how we can, um, I can slide some of our racial wealth uh, inequality, um, you know, some of the policies to address that in his broader agenda uh, that I think will really help the nation writ large. Uh, but I'm excited for 2021, actually, man. Uh, I'm imploring people yeah. to please go ahead and get the vaccine. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are concerned about it, uh, but you know, I, you know, people are only going to get going back to work once we once we do so. Uh, so I intend to take the vaccine for whatever it's worth to anyone's listening. Uh, I intend to get the Moderna one, the one that Fauci got, <laughs> because I, <laughs> right, right. you know. <laughs> I trust Fauci, so he got Moderna. I'm gonna get Moderna. Uh, All right, but I, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the vaccine. All right, cool. That's what's up. That's what's up. Those are some good plans, man. I, I think, I think, uh, tr- I think travels on a lot of people's lists right now, since that was a lot of that was cut short this year or cut off this year. Um, so to wrap up the, the show, I got a, f- a couple of last questions for you that I ask guests and and usually i give my a song that i'm rocking to right now and i'm, I'm gonna give one too because i just found a song that, that I, I absolutely bang with right now but i'm gonna ask you first what song are you rocking to right now um is it is it cool if i give three different capacities um I'm a, i'll allow it i'll allow it okay i appreciate <laughs> you being generous um so my all-time favorite um right now that I just listened on rotation is Hustle and Motivate by Nipsey Hussle. Um, mm. I listen to that all the time. Uh, it's just about, you know, staying focused and, and motivating others and motivating yourself. I listen to Dear Theodosia from the Hamilton mm. soundtrack. Uh, just because Junior. Yeah, it just makes me think about my yeah. boy and legacy and, mm. you know, how and whatnot. And um, uh, still here, uh, it's a Christian song by the Williams Brothers. I've listened to a lot. Um, it was one of my dad's favorite songs uh, as, as well. And it's just talking about how, like, you, you know, through life, you get bruises and whatnot, but you're still here. You should take some faith in that alone, yeah. you know? So. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, that's dope. I, I and I appreciate those three songs. Those are those are definitely uh definitely worthy of, of being shouted out. My <laughs> song I'm rocking to right now, yo, Big Crit dropped a Christmas song and that joint bumps. Oh really? I, I haven't heard season. it yet. Yo, let, me, let me check that joint out. I'm banging with this man. I'm telling you. And I, I feel bad because I, I already picked the Big Crit song for the song I'm rocking to earlier earlier in the show. I think it was episode episode two. I've heard some I've heard some rap Christmas songs and sometimes they're a little you know, sometimes they're a little playful, a little corny, sometimes whatever. Sometimes they're cool. This joint just dumps. And I and I'm I got it on repeat. It's only two minutes long. I'm like, damn, Craig, can we get can we get it to be a little longer? I need a third verse, man. This joint <laughs> this joint rock. It goes though. So I'm, yeah, man. I and and I it King just, just elevates. Yeah, because Christmas songs can be can be down sometimes. This joint is just like, hey, you know, I, I just <laughs> I'm feeling this joint, so yeah. Nah, I, I, this this one this one's good for me. I'm um, glad you said crit because you you know what? It probably was gonna be my my fourth or my fifth was probably gonna be like big crit energy. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it gives me those feels. I, I'm gonna check out Tis the season. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, definitely. That that's 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 a banger for sure. Um, in my humble opinion. Um, all right. So the questions I ask guests at the end, and you only you can only choose one for this one. So don't cheat and say three. If you okay. have a superpower. <laughs> What would it be? Super speed. Super speed. Okay. Okay. Why? I just think it's dope. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> that's cool. You can get you can get anywhere you want. You know, folks can't really really touch you. Um, it just seems like a really you know, it'd be fun, right? Whereas other things may be powerful. It just seems like a fun superpower too. That's cool. You're the, I've had a few guests on so far, and everybody until you has said flying, which is cool. I, I think a lot of people would like to fly. Now, is your super feet, is your super speed fast enough so that you can get lift underneath your arms if you spread them out? Like, can you get to flight if you go fast enough? Is that how it works? As, See, I'm an engineer. I got to think through all these different options. <laughs> yeah, so, I, so super speed, not technically just my feet, you know? Um, hey, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, you know? <laughs> So you can move your arms, I guess, uh, swim real fast too, so to speak. But okay, yeah, I just, I just think, um, you know, run up a building. I don't know, you know. Um, <laughs> that would be dope. Yeah. If you could run on water, I mean, just that, it'd be cool. I, I think if you want to be like, you know what, I feel like, you know, going to San Diego's beach right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you can get there. Over. You can get there in five minutes and not be winded. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's that's what's up. I, that's a good one. I like that. All right. Uh, next question is, or the last question really is, what's the last book you read, and do you recommend it? And I know on Instagram you posted a number of, pic, of a picture of a number of books that you've been that you read this year. Um, but yeah, what was the last book you read, and do you recommend it? The last book I'm trying to think because right now I'm, I'm reading. Um, what was the last one I read? Right, I'm reading um, a Promised Land right now. Which is Obama's mm-hmm. book. Um, oh, the one before that was we were eight years in power. I believe oh, yeah. by Tanahisi Coates. Coates. Yeah. Yep. So that was the last one I finished reading, and um, yeah, I mean, so I've 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 also, you know, it's between the world and between between the world and me. I think it's a little bit better than. We were eight years in power. 
but that's only because We Were Eight Years in Power is a collection of eight essays that he wrote for the Atlantic. Oh, okay. So it's not a cohesive book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he essentially does a little bit of commentary in between to try to weave them together. But uh, and each one's from like a different year of Obama's presidency uh, to try to catalog. But it's not the same, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's not the same. Um, but uh, actually, sorry, no, that wasn't the last book I finished. Um, uh, the last book I finished was uh, Kamala Harris's book. Um, yeah, I just read that recently too. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, I like that one. I think it's worth a read. She's our, she's going to be our vice president. You should know who she is. What she's yeah, about. that that's that's the approach I took. I, I read it because I was like, hey, she's going to be our VP, and um, and I, personally, I I read it and I was like. It's okay. I mean, it, it, it had some anecdotal personal it's, stories of her history yeah. and it basically it's reiterated the, a, a platform. Yeah, it's the I'm about to run for president book. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it was. And so, I, you know, you know I, I, I kind of took it like it was and that, that, that was it. I mean, you, you mentioned Between the World and Me. I, I don't know that I've read it exactly once a year, but I'm going to, I'm going, I know I've read it the last, each of the last few years, but oh, yeah. as Avery's getting older, I, I'm, I'm going to read it every year. It hits different as Avery gets older, and that's just going to be a book that I'm going to consume annually because it kind of, it kind of, like he wrote it as his son was reacting to. I think was it Mike Brown? Oh no, no, no. I think it was when. No, yeah, I think it was when Darren Wilson was let off. I believe is, is what what precipitated yeah. him reading writing that. And it, was, it was a letter to his son, and that kind of addressed one of those topics we were talking about earlier about like raising our boys in, in this, in this world. And yeah, yeah, that's what I'm gonna read every year because it just, it just hits hard every time and it hits a little different as, as, as the boy gets older. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, I think I've probably read between the world and me like I don't know, two or three times now. Yeah. Uh, for, fortunately, by, by the way, to anyone listening, uh, subscribe to your libraries. They have like, yes. you know, audio books and the like, and, like honestly, I've like I have a physical copy of it, but I've technically never read the physical copy. Like I've I've read the book three times via audiobook, just because it was that impactful for me through drives, and it was all through. Uh, like I bought the book because I listened to an audiobook via the library system three times, and I was just like, you know, I need to give this man some money directly, and then bought the book. Yeah. <laughs> just so I yeah. Get it. I- I will second that. I do have the physical copy. I also have never physically read the physical copy. I have the audiobook on Audible, but I'm on my I'm reading my 40th book this year and the vast majority of them have been Audible book, uh, audiobooks and the vast majority of them have been through the Prince George's County Public Library system. Um and so definitely 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 register Great for, resource. Get your library card and I got I mean, I got one for Montgomery County, Prince George's, and D.C. So um, <laughs> you can see which which jurisdiction has the books that you, that you want. Sometimes you can get the audiobooks faster, you know, certain different jurisdictions. Um, but definitely utilize your local libraries. They got like like Jed, like you said, audiobooks are on there. I mean, I got I think I got Kamala Harris's book on there. I just read uh, Hobbin, uh, which is about Hobbin German, who who who. Um, who uh, went to Harvard? She's deaf, blind, um, black. She's um, her parents are from Eritrea. Um, she, she mm. anyway, like I don't know. Th- th- everything's on there, and and it's free, and it's just yep. it's information. And and it, during the pandemic right now, you can't. I know the library just just restricted its its uh, curbside service now. So, yep. it, you know, hopefully you already have your library card. Use the app. 
to, to get the ebooks, audiobooks, definitely plug for that for sure. All right. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to wrap it up. So where can people get in touch with you and follow your work? How, how should people reach out to you? So you can reach out to me on, uh, on Facebook, Delegate Jazz Lewis, Twitter, Jazz for Maryland, that's F-O-R, or on Instagram, Delegate Jazz Lewis as well. Um, or you can email me, jazz at jazzlewis.com. Um, you know, I will respond directly to you. Uh, just, you know, be patient with me. Like I said, I got a nine-week-old. And um, in addition to being in the legislature, I have a full-time job outside of it. So I will get back to you. It may take me a little bit, but I, but I respond to everybody. Um, if you have ideas of legislation we should work on, please holler at me. Uh, I don't assume that just because we are elected, we have all the ideas, right? Um, you know, too often the ideas that get pushed are from, you know, folks who have organized interest groups, and those are the only ones that get talked about. But a lot of the ideas, particularly on breaking up the concentration of liquor stores and food desert issues, that's come from people in the community just talking to me. So if you have an idea that you just know, like, this would help a lot of people and no one's thought about it, uh, reach out. Like, we could, we could talk. I'd, I'd love to be a conduit to let your idea uh, get, get some uh, sunlight. Hey, that's a great that's a great message. I appreciate you saying that. A lot of people feel probably feel like they don't have that voice, um, but but you're a man of the people, and you're making that available to them. And I know I know your your constituents appreciate that. Um, so yeah, definitely. And if you don't live in uh, Jasmine's district, you know, reach out to your own state delegate. Get tapped into the, your state politics and see what's going on in your state and your area, because um, hopefully, as a representative, that's as as accessible as Jazz is. And if not. Next go around, find one that is. Um, so, or run. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah. Or run. Yeah, there you go. Better yet, run yourself. Exactly. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, Jazz, I really appreciate you uh, spending the time to talk with me, um, both on the, on, the, on the politics side and on the personal note. It's always good to get in touch with you and, and uh, just, you know, like I said, I'm a fan of what you're doing. You know, you, you, you haven't changed. You've gotten older. You've gotten more mature and whatever you got. You know, a different different family. You know, you're married with a kid now, but but you're still the same jazz. You're still pushing for the same issues that that you know we we first met on college campus talking about. So um, you know, I appreciate you you sticking in the fight. You know, in your role currently, and um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm 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 here for it. Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. Holla at you, man. Have a good one. Appreciate everybody listening to this episode of Who Knows. It's just life. The podcast. As y'all know, you can find me on Instagram at real adult that's r-e-a-l-d-a-d-u-l-t i look forward to your feedback on this episode or any prior episodes and also any ideas you might have on future episodes you know i I hope you all have a happy holiday season and a happy new year and hope to see you in a positive 2021 until then be safe be well peace